given what's been going on for the past year, like all these people switching to working from home, this would have been the golden age of VR if people wanted it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 295 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm a little horse. Uh, <laughs> it took me a long time to put that which part, which mm-hmm. horse you were talking about. Uh, I'm Sam, and I'm a man. You know, I'm just a regular human man, not a horseman, mm. not a horseman. Uh, good, good stuff, guys. <laughs> uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is January 20, 2021. Dunk on everyone. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanities in this show. We'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you very much for the recurring donations. Uh, also, you guys, I have a, I have a question. Is it, is it disrespectful that we put the, the thanks to the, for the money people right next to our profanity warning? <laughs> do, we, do we need to find a better No, no, spot? no. I think it's the place that, of honor to be next to the swears. Yeah, because that presupposes make everything that there's something wrong with profanity, which we've, we've, just, just, we've discussed this many times. Profanity the is the best part of language. So we're just, No, 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 no. There's nothing wrong with profanity. What I'm saying is there's something wrong with profanity warnings. You yeah, know, that's fair. like that's but, clearly the worst part of the podcast no, think, no. is that one sentence about <laughs> about the fact that there's profanity coming. Because like you should you should know. Yeah. I don't know. I think I, would, I, I think if I was writing sort of the you know the, the herald call of like stuff's about to get wild up in here, so plug your ears. You know, that sounds like a good spot to be because you're on this sort of fresh wave where everyone's being real attentive, you know? Like, oh, wow, well, I mean, it's also about to get best, dangerous. It's the best spot because what has just happened is we said, okay, here's the podcast. Here's what it's about. By the way, leave if you shouldn't be here. Just got rid of everybody. And then the first thing that happens, the first thing, the most important thing, the top of the podcast is we then give thanks, uh, but only to the ears of the people who are worth keeping around. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Now, I mean, I I have been uh, – here's some other uh, questions about sort of like podcast money stuff. I don't know if you guys could sort of help me out with this. Sure, yeah. So I, I listened I, I listened to a variety of podcasts and uh, one in particular is a very popular one. I'm not going to – I'm not going to name names because, you know, you shouldn't – you know, in the podcast industry, it's a very tight-knit community and you really don't want to throw people under the bus. Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sure, and yeah. we're, we're, of course, like part of – yeah, we're totally part of that community and stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, but I opened up a, a popular podcast and the first nine minutes were – was the host reading out sponsors. Was it uh, was it by any chance a political podcast? Cause, no. Okay. Because that's the one that I know about. One of them. I won't, you know, specify which. It's but. some would say the most popular podcast. Oh, and I'm thinking like people talk about how much they hate ads, you know. But if the most popular podcast is just nine straight minutes of ads right out of the gate, then like maybe, maybe people, maybe that's what people. That's the content that people really mm, get it all wrong. <laughs> we just need to. The podcast is not. Uh, the ads are not a way for us to like. You know, make the podcast go. The podcast it's is actually a vehicle for ads, which is yeah. actually true for most products, as they are yeah. an advertising vehicle. 
So uh, I don't know. Maybe we're doing it wrong by having literally no ads at all. Do you um, think if we? Because kind of we're in a we're in this problem, right? Which is our audience isn't big enough for us to get you know big sponsorships, right? But we don't have a big audience because we right. we don't so, start with nine minutes of ads. So is it that this is a circular problem, or that <laughs> we that we just took the problem from the wrong direction? Or that really what we need to do is start putting ads in, and the consequence will be that we. Grow the stu- the gr- we grow the people, reach. People listen to it and they're like, "Wow, there's like 15 minutes of ads." I must share this podcast. Okay, with I've us. got it. I've got I mean, it. I got it. Solution. Solution time. Okay, we start up a, a separate podcast. Okay, and it's just like it's called like on a butterscotch sh- 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 sponsorship or something, mm-hmm. and it's just a full hour of us just reading out sponsor stuff, right? So we start there. And then over time, you can start to squeeze in like little 30 seconds podcast segments, you know, and you work your way backwards right. into, into it becoming a podcast. Add the content on like year two. Because right, you want to juice, to- yeah, you want to juice the audience by just having 60 straight minutes of ads. And right. so give the people time, what they want, you know? Yeah, yeah give the people what they want. So then when we get to the end of this, we'll now actually have a big audience and we can stop doing all these ads. But also, the ads will be more valuable because now we can do fewer of them for a higher rate. And presumably that's also makes them more impactful, which brings in even more people. Yeah. So I guess, I guess just, you know, if you're out there, if you got a product, you need advertised, uh, you know, come talk to us and we'll put it in our one hour long advertisement podcast. That's uh, now in the works. Mm-hmm. We just started it. It's in the works mm-hmm. now. Yeah. But also don't, don't, well, I don't know. I, mean, we'll I, mean, I, I get enough uh, <laughs> random solicitations in my inbox of people who want me to do something with their ad stuff that but, I you know, know that I need more. Yeah. But, you know, you, you go to a podcast and it's like half of it is ads, half of it is in ads. Let's stop pretending. Let's just go We all know what in. you're here for. We know what you're here for. It's the ads. People are here for only one thing and it's disgusting. It's ads. Disgusting. It's Gross. ads. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about life. There's only one thing really going on this week, which is Adam has boiled his in- insights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mentioned, uh, I don't know, a few, a few weeks back that I had gone to my psychiatrist. Uh, I've got some ADHD and minor depression going on, so I got some drugs to treat that. And uh, so this is now kind of the follow-up, which is uh, the ones that I'm on take a while to take effect. So four weeks in, still hadn't done anything at all. Felt no effect. So – Talked to my guy. He was like, okay, let's just uh, double the dose. And then he warned me, though, the effects are not linear. As in, we don't know what the impact is of doubling the dose. It won't be twice of nothing, which is what I was currently feeling. Uh, and boy, was he correct. It was, it was, uh, it was a big jump uh, within two days. Uh, I was kind of, so it's been very confusing because this, this constellation of symptoms I got were were interesting and, and kind of complicated uh, and didn't quite match up with the normal side effects of the thing. And so I was like, do I have COVID? You know, I like, couldn't like, try to figure out what was going on. Uh, and then finally, um, after like really reading more stuff about it and talking to my guy again, uh, discovered that that's what it was. And so I've just had like super dry eyes, uh, hoarse voice, trouble sleeping, like all this kind of stuff. Uh, and so but it's, it's been interesting because the, the question in this kind of scenario is just to ask, like, uh, what do I do about this, right? Mm-hmm. Because because there I had like I had like a two day period at the very beginning where I actually felt the good effects, you know, and I was like, 
I was truly happier. I was like getting some stuff done. Uh, and, and then after three days, the side effects had caught up. And so now everything was worse again, <laughs> like a lot worse actually. Uh, so I was left with it. So there, it's this weird, like limbo spot where it's like, okay, so I could quit. Right. But then I can't get those good effects, but I have these bad effects. So really the question was, you know, how long is the bad stuff going to last? Mm-hmm. Cause if it's permanent, then I, I'm absolutely not going to keep doing this. Uh, but, uh, but it supposedly should only last a little bit longer. So mm-hmm. is it getting better? No, it actually has gotten better in the in the past day in particular. Um, so so I still my eyes are still pretty dry, uh, but but I'm actually I don't feel like absolute shit, which was a, a huge step up from where I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, hey, I, I don't know. I think there's just an interesting thing to talk about because there's there's a there's always a fear associated with with taking psychoactive drugs in particular, right? For a lot of people, um, and uh, and like and yeah, like. You might have some side effects, and mine just interact with me particularly poorly because of some other chronic stuff I got going on. Uh, and, and and but it's like that's fine because you can just stop taking like you you can act, you can stop doing it right. Mm-hmm. And so try so something that, else, change yeah, try the something dose. Else. The whole thing is a journey. And it's going to have some bumps, right? Uh, and and so so just knowing that, like, yeah, it's weird. It's weird to to take a thing and have have it impact how you feel. You know, it's it is a weird thing. Um, but, uh, but if it works, it's very nice. It's worth it. You know, it's worth, it's worth trying to get over those humps. Yeah. When um, you, when you came in the discord and you're like, guys, I think I have COVID. Then you started describing your symptoms and I'm like, I mean, only some of those match up, but like, mm-hmm. really, you haven't really seen You've a human anywhere. face no. in like yep. six months. So if you, <laughs> yeah. if you got COVID, then we're all doomed. It can, it yeah. can happen. Like, <laughs> I mean, I go out to buy groceries, and I, but I did, I did go get a COVID test just to like, just to make sure that that's not what it was, you know. Um, so I had that delightful experience. Um, they basically take a, a skinny, wiry feather and just shove it, into shove your brain. it right into your brain. Yeah. Uh, but that part wasn't even the, like the, the it hitting my brain. I didn't notice. It was it slithering through my nostril, like yeah. nostril hole, you know, it was, uh, was deeply, deeply uncomfortable. On <laughs> um, other hand, yeah. just like, it's like, you know, it, it was, it was still like, despite that, it was like, it was a brief moment. Um, and it didn't hurt exactly. It was just approximating just pain not the, how not the best. It was. Yeah, <laughs> it was not the best. Uh, and so, so again, one of those things is like the stuff is like, I, I heard so many horror stories of people being like, Oh, this is the, like the worst part of COVID was the test and all this kind of stuff. Right. Uh, and so again, it's just like, yeah, there's, it's going to be a little rocky, you know, but in the end it's fine. You get over the hump, you the get the is, benefit, you know, especially when you know that there's a time limit to be honest on like yeah, a lot exactly of right. these yeah. uncomfortable yep. things. That's what makes it fine. in a lot of ways, yeah. like the, the fact that the COVID pain that you get from that or the, just that horrible sensation is literally like a couple of seconds, you know? Yeah. And then like, like two minutes okay. of a very watery eyeball. Yeah. Yeah. This is so a- like, I feel like Sam kind of has the ultimate, you know, like back in my day. Oh yeah. Know, yeah. yeah I don't care about like, like, like Oh really? You had a Q-tip in your nose. I had a needle in my bone. Yep. Yeah. Like, <laughs> on multiple occasions. Multiple they times. They just kept totally stabbing. Yeah. yeah. They just kept stabbing me inside the bone. It's sucking it out. <laughs> and just like Adam said, it's actually not uh, getting into the bone that hurts. It's the uh, it's the sucking out of it's the juices. That's steal the, your marrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. For some reason, yeah. For some reason, sucking marrow right out of your live bones is a painful experience. While Who you're awake. Thought? Who would have thought? Yeah. 
Yeah. So then to be like, oh, I got a Q-tip in my nose. Come on. Yeah. yeah come, just, on. Uh, come on. Yeah. Which is just all to say, like, <laughs> medicine is gross. It's painful. <laughs> and it's hard. And it's really hard to get over the hump to make yourself go do the thing, right? Uh, but – you know, it's all it's all just a brief moment. I think, yeah, you you got to view and it. Then you as get the long term benefit, exactly. You know, because like with even with the you know talking to a psychiatrist and stuff, like all of those are just there's just steps to get to like a better spot. And I think the the problem is if you frame it as like, oh, I'm going to go talk to the like a psychiatrist or something, and that's like that's in your mind the final step too. Then I mean, summoning the energy again, especially after you've like either been poked in the brain or got some weird. You know, side effects going on from a drug you got or whatever else uh, is a, is a harder and harder thing to do. So I think you gotta you just gotta mm-hmm. chill out a little bit. Just you know, if you've been living with some nonsense like this for a while, it's just a little while longer to get it sorted. <laughs> you know, yep. uh, it just takes some time. Yeah, because well, the earlier you, know, you get it done, when it's a journey to get it done, but the earlier you get it done, the longer you get to live with that thing mm-hmm. having been done. You know, yeah, and and if if you're in a position where like you've gotten say like a COVID test and then recovered, like maybe you got COVID. And you recovered, and you're like, oh, the worst part was the test. It's like that's because you lived. Yeah, yeah. that's because you, you got know, mild. Like, COVID. You got lucky. Uh, so you know, it's it's still yeah. good to go get the, the test. Yep. <laughs> the message isn't maybe isn't what you intended the message to be, which was yeah. actually that. Ooh, I had a mild case of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So studio news, game jam coming up. We have the global game jam coming. Um, I guess after this podcast goes live. Yeah, like real quick. Like right now, basically. Um, so historically, the Global Game Jam has has been like a pseudo-online-offline event. Where like people would have a jam site where they would physically gather, but the event was organized online and there was like – there would be a big uh, video at the start of the thing and all of that. So this year, it's completely online and they've actually released a statement being like, if we find out that you've had a physical <laughs> gathering, everybody involved is banned from submitting games, right? So, mm-hmm. good, you know, good on them. Mm-hmm. Um, we stopped submitting games to the Global Game Jam a while back um, because they require you to hand out the source code for your game. And we had been uh, doing some like web stuff and some stuff with Rumpus that talks to our servers and things like that. And uh, so we were just like, no, we'll just make our game and just have it mm-hmm. and yeah. not, not upload it. So uh, it's been now, I think, a year and a half since we've done a game jam. Our last jam was Fields of Goop, right? The yeah, MMO. Which and, was, yeah, 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 a whole year and a half ago. Jeez. Yeah. And one time. of the things we talked about in 20, 2021, Dunk on Everyone, is like, going to do some game jams this year, you know? Um, but one of the things I want to do and this is actually kind of in the opposite spirit of dunking on everyone. Yeah, I was going yeah, to say, we talked about this earlier, and it, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't But, you know, that, it still gives me two more jams to do a dunk. That's true. So, so the thing that I want to do, this Global Game Jam, is make a real shit piece. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back in the day of, of first getting started making games, like, you know, er- everything that I made was real bad. And I didn't know what I was doing. And there was this kind of fun of just like, just trying to get a thing off the ground. Just anything. Like just anything moving, anything functional at all. And so, so one of the things I'd like to do, I'm not sure if the rest of the team's on board with this, but is basically like make a game in a different engine, make a game in 3D, like do something that we 
just have no no earthly idea how to do and just see what kind of pseudo game like experience we can game shaped object we could spawn yeah Yeah. um because you know we kind of hit a point where like we we did make an mmo and game maker in a weekend for our last game jam um and you know it wasn't a wasn't a good mmo right but like it was one and (laughs) uh and i and so often our our game jams are more like we're trying to dunk on everyone in our mm-hmm. game jams. We're trying to make the absolute coolest, best thing we can do and push our skills and stuff. And I want to take the pressure off and go back to a state like, you know what, this jam, let's let's just explore a completely new space and just try to learn something at the very fundamental, you know, ground level. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've been – I've been working in Clip Studio now for about like, probably six months or so. Uh, getting used to the way it works, getting used to the flows and stuff. Uh, I've always wanted to – I've done a little bit of 3D, but not really – not enough to be able to say I do 3D or that I'm comfortable like using it for any legit purpose. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of artists who actually do use uh, – especially when you're making environment stuff or, or um, say illustrations. You can basically mock up uh, environmental scenes in 3D just using you know shitty cubes and things. And then position your camera wherever you want. And then literally you just take a screenshot and trace over that shit and then like, you know, make it look good, right? <laughs> and the reason is because stuff like perspective and like getting a composition just right. Yeah, you kind of get it for free. You get, yeah, essentially you yeah. get it set up and then you kind of move the camera around exactly where you want it to be. Um, and so – and I've seen more and more of that, especially in the last year or so with some of the tutorials and stuff I watch. Some of the people I follow becoming more of a thing. Uh, it just seems like a lot of a lot of people who do, especially in the concept art space or illustration space are getting keen enough at that that it becomes sort of like a, a part of the tool set. And so I wanted to do that for a while and then like doing fully animated stuff in 3D would be fun. So yeah, I could totally be down for making some hideous shit, you know. Yeah, the could. thing is like, it's a good chance we won't, you know, we won't show what we've made. To yeah, I mean, you have to. That's, that's, <laughs> if you're new to jam, you have to, you have to show the result. doesn't matter how shitty it is. The spirit mm-hmm. of the jam that's it's, true. We're all making shit together. Oh, yeah. No, we'll show yeah. it. It'll just be yeah. – it might be like, you know, seven seconds. Who knows how much stuff there will be. That's what we still yeah. We'll yeah, just I, say if you used to be a fan of butterscotch, you won't be after this jam. <laughs> You'll be like, wow, this is – this. they've really – I think there's something special about about, uh, about returning to a place of complete ignorance, to be honest. Uh, it's refreshing because yeah. I think part of it's – part of it is like you said, it actually it, – it forces you to completely divorce from the idea that in the back of your mind that like maybe this could be a thing or like we're going to get something out of this that we can use for later. Like, no, I'm just here yeah. to have a good time and do some weird just, shit. You just know? want the experience of of going back to that like everything is new and I have no idea what's going on kind of a, kind of a mindset. Uh, so, yeah, definitely recommend doing the jam. It is global. So I think if you just go to what is it, globalgamejam.com. Or just Google it. it, Yeah. Actually, one thing to consider for this approach that that we're taking is, uh, is, is the teamwork component, right? Because if you're in a, if you're in an ignorant space where nobody knows how to do anything, it's also gonna be very hard to orchestrate being a team, right? Where you break up work or whatever. So, so probably I think, I think a result of doing this is that we will probably have to, like we wouldn't have our whole studio doing one project. I don't think that would be no. yeah. possible. So we'll probably have to break it up. And, and, and in that case, what I might do uh, is, is like try to make a, a web game with, mm-hmm. with a, with a JavaScript 
video game library or something like that. Because uh, I, I like, I just like the idea of because because like, for me that's because I, I don't do game stuff at all. So like for me this would be I'm like in ignorance territory when it comes to how do I think about the game doing stuff, right? Yeah, uh, but I would get to start with being like, well, at least I know some JavaScript, right? So I can, I, I have a, I have a starting point to to do something with, because um, I'll still make absolute garbage, um, but I'll be, I'll be starting from a different position versus Sam and Seth, where they're like, okay, we know how to think about making games. Seth knows a million things about how to think about the issues around games, which is like, when do you, when are you thinking about collisions? When are you thinking about pathfinding? Like all this kind of stuff, right? That I just don't normally have to think about. Um, so so if I was if I was helping quote unquote uh do like the programming <laughs> then it would be i'd just be like seth i don't what the hell seth, <laughs> what is, why what though is what how does yeah it also like using a new a new complex ui like the unity ui which seth has used before but i've never i've never used uh for a thing i don't understand which is oh yeah i mean game yeah i love be, okay, popping up in any one of these it is the same with game maker too to be honest a, uh, it is yeah like you need some time you need some time before the thing to f- at least familiarize yourself with the concepts and the tool. Oh yeah. The to first time I opened anything. clip studio paint, I think I drew like, I figured out how to draw like two or three lines with whatever the pen was. And then I just left. Yep. It was like a 10 minute thing. And I was like, I'm exhausted. Cause there's yep. just, there's like 15 windows doing mm-hmm. their own things on the sides. I'm like, I don't even want to, I can't. Yeah. Can't it is. It is worth noting that if you're doing a jam or something, you should definitely not be opening the software, the tool, for the very for the first, first time, time yeah. uh, definitely take you know at least a couple of hours before the jam starts to do some tutorials and watch some videos or read some documentation. Just your eyes a little bit, just so that you're not like spending the first couple hours being unable to do anything to help your team because you're just like mm-hmm. slapping random buttons to see what they do. You know. Yep. So uh, anyway, very excited about that first jam of many this year in 2021. Uh, so that should be a good time. All right, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Highest upvoted question comes from Chelosis, who says, If you were an NPC, what side quest would you give to the player? Who's who's the player, I guess, is the other. So I'm a little offended that just like right out of the gate, the assumption is that I'm not one of the main story NPCs. I'm just like... It's just a side quest NPC. I'm just a side quest. I'm, I'm just over there. I've got like my butter churn or some shit. And then the player comes over and I'm like, hey, could you go grab me uh, my butter churn manual? <laughs> that's, my, that's my whole quest. Like, it's a real bummer. I was no, kind of hoping, hoping I'd be more in, integral to the story. I don't know. I mean, I think uh, side quests get, get, a, get a bad rap, I think, for the, the side nature of them. But the reality is like a lot of the most fun shit happens on side quests because that's where yeah. the rules don't matter anymore. Yeah, because side quests, by definition, are not required, right? Mm-hmm. So that means the difficulty can go through the roof. It could go. It, it is true that that when we made Crashlands, we had to make the Hugo Duco fight to- tuned down because mm-hmm. it was required for progression. Um, but all the side bosses, we were like, honestly, it doesn't really matter how hard they are because yeah, you don't have to. It. You don't have to beat them exactly. So uh, I, I took the the uh, the other approach, which is side quests are the place where where you get to. Do whatever you want because nobody needs to be there. So if they want to be there, they want to be there. And otherwise, like their progression can continue. It's cool. So I think you get you get full license to be a maniac. Yeah. So with that in mm. mind, whether it's butter churning, I mean, the thing is like you could have a butter churning side quest because, again, who cares? You know, you could have a whole quest yeah. about setting up a, a butter factory in the middle of some medieval, you know, village or something to get butter, that butter, butter churn. Yeah. 
Okay, here's the thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna start my side quest chain with just I'm I'm testing the hero. I'm over here churning my butter, you know, mm. and that and I'm like, I need you to go like grab me some simple ingredients to help me make this butter, you know, do butter stuff. Do you put simple in quotes? Simple. No, this no because this is a test. Like I'm not gonna offer any kind of reward. I'm just gonna ask for help for a simple task because I need a humble hero, someone who's not in it for the money. You know? Someone who's not in it for the money, and they're gonna get me that thing, and I'm gonna, and then I'm going to take off my disguise because I'm wearing a disguise. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna be like, "Haha, it's actually me, whatever my name is, the Buttermancer." Mm-hmm. And then, and then I'm gonna send them on this journey to all the different pastures and farms around the world, and they're gonna be doing like studying under the butter masters of of. Is this, this gonna be one of those quest chains that like? Every time you think it's probably done, it just like there's a it whole. It just other, keeps going. I mean, you're just like there's got to be something at the end of this, and yeah. there's just genuinely no challenge to this whole chain. Like you're just talking to people, and they're just mm-hmm. telling you stuff about butter, and it it really <laughs> it really goes on for like uh, way too long, and there's cut scenes, you know, and like and you're like non skippable, yeah, non skippable cut scenes where like this. This old sort of like you know gray bearded ancient butter man is just like describing all the different techniques of churning and stuff. Right? Mm-hmm. It takes get, like twenty. You gotta get minutes. quizzed afterwards, and there's not like you know. And if you fail the quiz, you got to rewatch the cutscene. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a whole thing. Uh, but when it's done, when the whole thing is done, your character is now just permanently sort of coated in a sheen of butter. Ooh, which makes you very probably. makes you very slippery. You know, there's like, that too. Very hard to catch. Yeah. Plus plus three percent uh, dodge chance. So I, <laughs> I feel like I feel like in the end, I mean that's an edge that you just you know you can't buy that kind of thing. It's funny. You I do wonder it. sometimes with with the whole like uh, with the, with the rewards that have very numerical output on them. If it uh-huh. would just be better if they weren't fucking there at all. Because like, would you finish a quest like that? If they were just to say like, thank you, you are now like shiny and covered in butter all the time. And that's it. Like just do anything. It's just that. Yeah. That somehow it's- feels better <laughs> than when they're like, and you have a 3% dodge chance. Because now I'm like measuring the amount of the amount of benefit I get yeah. against the work. Well, I think it's that's, that's, that's only because it's so low. Because if they were like, yeah. now you have like a plus 20% dodge chance per minute, you'd be like, holy crap. That seems like a lot, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it was worth it. Now, now I'm covered in butter too, which yeah, is also pretty dope. The other option is not saying the number at all, you know, where you just say you're covered. In, you're covered in butter and can slip past your enemies more easily. Like that's the result. Like you don't know how how much more slippery you are. And it doesn't matter. It's permanent. You're not gonna like. You don't have to make a decision. Do I take this off or keep it on? Do I swap it mm-hmm. for something else? You just are permanently slippier, slip slipperier, slipperier, slipperier. Slipperier. <laughs> Uh, and so you just don't have to know the details. And now you can still be pumped that you're just more slippery, you know, um, without having to put numbers on it. Back to the slipperier question. Is it s- more slippery? It's one of those, you know, yeah, it's one of those more slippery ones where you keep well, the, you don't get to have a, a word that just means that. Can you just say slippier? You know what I mean? No. Because it's Slipper. not, it's not, the word isn't slippy. The word is Slipper. slippery. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, remember it's it's English. So sometimes you get to have a new word that ends in ear, right? Right. And other times you just have to put more in front of the word you've already got. So it's just lame, lame English stuff. But what are the rules on that? 
Because you could there say are no like, rules. You right? could be like, this is difficulter than that. Yeah. This is the difficultest thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. You, can mm-hmm. say, <laughs> you can say this is faster than that. Yeah. There are no rules. Yeah. There's, there's just no there's rules. Just how the things are. You know, that's that's it. Yeah. Uh, I have no envy for people who are trying to learn English for the first time because it is an incoherent. Yeah, it's a bullshit pile language. Of, it is. However, I will say, if you say something in English and it is and it is mixed up like that, where you're like, "This is the difficultest thing I've done." Everyone actually 100% knows what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like it's wrong in terms of how you should say it, but the meaning perfectly communicated. Well, the also fun part of it too is that because there aren't so much rules as every word behaves differently depending on context, right? <laughs> yes. uh, so that we, have, we have per per word, per context rules basically, right? Uh, then because that's true then, and because it's – I mean I mean, language is always made up anyway, but English is particularly made up, right? And the, the rules are just what we've all like – on average, agreed about over time, right? But it gives you a lot of license too, where if someone is like, you know, irregardless isn't a word or whatever, it's like people use it, you know what I mean? So if yeah, just, if somebody says it, does it communicate? Because it's fine. Yeah. There is all that never, matters is you know what it means, you know? Yeah. And there's probably never been a time where somebody knows what regardless means, mm-hmm. but then heard somebody say irregardless and was like, well, now I'm lost. You just, <laughs> I've, yeah, exactly. I mean, you've totally lost me with this uh-huh. strange word I've never heard of. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, do you guys have any other side quest thoughts or should we hit the next question? Uh, we can hit the next one. Yeah. I All right. Clearly, clearly ours would be something around uh, figuring out what sort of ending to put on slippery to make it more slippery without having to say the word more in front of it. You know? Yeah. I think the most important thing is that the person in the side quest is revealed to be a manser of some kind. I totally you know? agree. Yeah. Um, because then you can have a word manser who sends you on a quest to go learn about to find the ending for a word. <laughs> yeah. I, I think they can become a dancer of some sort too. I think that would also be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does require a lot of animation though. So, you know, budget is mm-hmm. always tough for that one. We, now, can, just, but, we well, can just imply it. Although, no, because all the money is in the dance emotes, you know? Uh, it's oh, true. yeah. So that's how, it, we get, that's how we get that epic Fortnite money. That's how you mm-hmm. get that Fortnite money. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's get on to the next <laughs> question. I had, a, I had a thought, but then it just like totally. It totally ran away. Yeah, uh, next question comes from Fraser, who says, GDC, at least in its current form, appears to be dying. Mm-hmm. Ticket prices and travel costs are too high. San Francisco sucks. Yep. Lately, it's more useful to be at alt cons around the convention than the thing itself. That said, gamedev.world is still tiny, and everything else seems to either be aimed at gamers instead of developers Mm-hmm. Or is targeted, or is targeting some specific niche, like just business to business, a specific region or genre, etc. After the smoke of COVID clears the air, what would you guess is the next evolution in game conferences? Mm-hmm. I, I think. Mean, go ahead, you go. You go. Take okay, it. I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> I think with the, I think, I think this idea of like the writing being on the wall, which I actually don't know. I know what that means, but I don't know what that means. You know, the writing on the it's wall. It's really spooky. Like when someone writes, it's like you're going to fucking die on the wall. And, and then, then you see it and you're like, right. oh no. Yeah. That's most Cause you haven't died yet. That's right. So, so that's, that's, that's how that came to be obviously. Mm-hmm. So, so GDC writings on the wall. Uh, and I think that that's what it's felt like. Um, but I don't think that it's true. I think it feels like that because, uh, as you go to them, you're every year you go, you're in a, more progressed place than you were the year before, right? Yes. And so the value proposition uh, declines, actually, with the, for the event itself. Because the event itself is about sharing very general knowledge, right? 
they do have some talks that kind of get into the weeds on various sorts, but even those are encouraged to like be somehow exciting and, and enticing to a broader audience. Yeah, right? It's either going to be super general stuff about how to do games or actually like in the workshops and things, it's super specific. So it's yeah. like if you're working in uh, VFX with Unreal and this particular uh, like Houdini pipeline, right? here's how you make a building explode, right? Like yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, and so 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 GDC is weird then, right? Because it's mostly general stuff that that the more you know, the less useful that becomes, mm-hmm. uh, and very specific stuff. Which the more you have have sort of fine tuned the stuff that you do and that you care about, the the less and less likely you'd be willing to go to these other things. Because like, because in the beginning you might go to those things just to see how other stuff works, right? But as time goes on, you're like, like in our case, we'd be like, oh, we want to know how like what's what's the bleeding edge game maker, uh, you know, pipeline stuff that people are doing, and like. So there's no talks about that, certainly. But if there were, those were the ones that we would go to. Uh, so I think that's part of it, is that is that over time, the value proposition just would decrease even if GDC didn't change. Um, but I think the other part is that it is true that the cost has not gone down. Yeah. Right? Uh, and if anything has gone up, it's certainly being in San Francisco has become costlier and costlier year over year, um, substantially. Uh, so, so it becomes, it's more expensive to go to over time and less valuable over time. And so I think that the end result of that is that it kind of has to be true that, that these things departing from each other too rapidly uh, is going to be bad. Um, the reason that we go now is just because that's where everybody is. That's the only reason we go. Uh, in particular, our business partners. Um, because our business partners aren't as likely to show up to dev events, right? Mm-hmm. And that's who we really need to see. Uh, and so that's why we go to GDC, but, uh, there, there are other events that they also go to, which we also have been looking into more and more like dice and like, uh, and like PAX dev, right. And these kinds mm-hmm. of events. Uh, the other part is actually, we can just go to those places, you know, like we can just go there and then try to yeah. set up meetings, you know, external to these events and so on. Remember we did have that realization. Uh, I think we were working on scuffle buddies and we mm-hmm. were like, oh man, we need to like, it'd be really good to show this to, uh, to Apple and Google and like go, you know, have some, have some chats, but GDC is not for like six freaking months. Cause like, we just wanted to see if they would be even like, if they would care about it. And it's one thing to, to pitch it to just like send an email and be like, Hey, there's a test flat belt versus like being able to sit down and ask someone like, you know, really chat with them about it and see what's going on. And, and so, also just meet more as people that where you like, yeah, you're showing your game, but also you're a person talking to a person, you know, and exactly. It's building relationships more than a transactional thing, like an email. So yeah, we did fly out there. This was years ago at this point. Um, but we flew out to Apple to go have a meeting where we landed, hopped in a car, got there, did the pitch, and then uh, stuck around, did like one or two other things in uh, in the area for like a day or two, and then came back home. And I remember it was so confusing because it, it, it ended up costing us like basically nothing compared to GDC, right? Yeah. Because it was two of us who got an Airbnb wherever the fuck we needed to because like we are driving to be near a convention center. Yeah. Just, <laughs> so yeah. who cares? So it was, Airbnb was cheap. The flights were cheap because it was on like ran, random off time on like a Wednesday, you know? Um, yep. And the whole, the whole thing costways was so tiny that we were like, Oh, we can just, you can just go show there. up. Okay. Yeah. And, just like, hey, uh, as and you as don't you have meet. to, you don't have to live in San Francisco or have an office in San Francisco to just meet people in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Turns out. Yeah. So, but, the, but the reality is, is that, is that that's because we have already done like the early GDCs and oh, yeah. have games. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right that the, the reality is that it's a, it's a, it's a natural progression. Uh, these are basically the events aren't for everyone. You know, none of them ever are. So I think it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting that Fraser listed the different like types of events as mm-hmm. you know these more either the the meetings that are outside of GDC proper 
uh, or just these other alt conferences that have a more specific thing going on being more valuable. Cause it's, that's sort of, that generally is going to be what happens. And the reason you go to GDC, like Adam said, is, is just because that's where everybody is. Yeah. That's also why there's all the alt events that happen there because everybody's there. So like you can have alt events that normally no one in their right mind would go to San Francisco for like some niche event that happens for two hours. Mm -hmm. Right. Like nobody would do that, but because everybody is already there for GDC, then all these other things get to crop up. That can be a very high value. Yeah. Just maybe not things that you would spend, you know, $5,000 to go participate in. Uh, and so, so basically the whole thing, like, so the thing that's, that is, is cool about GDC is because it is so big that, and everybody is there, that it spawns all of these other things of, of varying value, depending on who you are and what you're trying to do. Uh, and so if you, if you kind of forget about the GDC itself, right. As like, as like that convention, um, and just think of it as a time period we're in, everyone is in the same place. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that is the thing that will keep GDC going. Um, if it, if it doesn't disintegrate because of the high cost and all that kind of stuff. But, but the thing that'll make it last longer than it otherwise would is the fact that, that all this other stuff gets created around it. Yeah. And importantly that, that, that particular value is something you, you still, you cannot get an online equivalent for no. that. If that makes sense. Like, because ever technically everyone's online all the time. So technically this should be happening just constantly, uh, online, but, but the reality is a bit different, like bumping into someone there. I think that, the thing that's happened for us over the years is that it has always been the case that GDC has represented a shift for us in thinking about something important. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in the beginning, those shifts largely came from sitting down and watching lectures and like really trying to take stuff in, talking to like uh, to anybody who gave it, who gave a talk that we liked and getting more information on them. Uh, in the past couple of years, I would say most of that value has come from one-off sidebar conversations, either with complete randos who we met like, bumping elbows at a bar or uh, or from our platform partners where we learned something about how they saw the future of the industry going or like a little, just a little bit of info about like how something was working out that shapes our plans. And so yeah. that's the sort and of also, thing. And also having value. meetings that are otherwise hard to get. So, so we mentioned like, you know, the, like we can on occasion, like we could just make a visit to some of our business partners, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, but we can't always, right. And they won't always be like, yeah, this is cool. Right. Yep. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so that's the, what the other part too, is that, is that because they're already like their plan when they're at GDC or like, or, or there's a subset of, of, you know, the, of these businesses who we partner with and the people who work there who are just like, yeah, I'm in meetings all week. Like this, this is where you come pitch stuff to me. This is where like, mm -hmm. if we just know about you a little bit, we might give you more of a chance than we otherwise would. And so the door is the door is significantly more open um, because that's part of the plan, right? Is everyone just they concentrate all of it in one spot in one moment in time? This kind of makes me think of um, how we were, we've been having conversations about about how companies unveil their games for the first time. And one of the the big popular things to do for AAA studios is to have a big unveiling at E3, mm -hmm. right? And uh, the reason that you would do that instead of just being like here's our trailer. It's up on YouTube now <laughs> mm -hmm. um, is because there's a, a period of time during E3 uh, where everybody is just ravenously excited for new stuff to be revealed yeah. and it's all they want to see and it's all they want to talk about. And their plan is so, their plan. They're like every journalist's plan during E3, during E3 is to write about all the announcements that appear yeah. during E3. So if you, if you unveil your game on a random Tuesday, you know, in October or something, um, then nobody's primed 
for that. Yeah. Like people aren't people aren't just already in the frame of mind where it's like this is the exact kind of thing that I'm planning on writing about mm-hmm. and talking about this week. The same thing goes with GDC. Everybody you just who have is far there, more competitors basically than you otherwise. Would. Yeah, and so everybody who's at GDC, they're they're primed to just chat and learn and mm-hmm. share, right? And so that that to me is is the the magic of GDC, and and I think it's kind of an interesting framing to think about this as as in, in the question, um, Fraser said that uh, that. It's more useful to be at alt cons around the convention than the convention itself, which is true in some cases. Mm-hmm. But also, the only reason those alt cons are there is because the convention is there, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, we, like, we so think going, of those as part of the like to us, the convention is not like GDC, the, the official proper. It's yes, yeah, that it's whole the whole moment. thing, the whole yeah, thing. There's, an there's an ecosystem, and and it's uh, and different aspects of it will be more or less useful to you, kind of depending on where you're at in your journey, you know, are you working at a AAA studio? Are you starting your own thing? Are you 10 years into your own thing? You know, whatever, there's going to be something there and there's going to be a lot of people there who are all primed and just like really interesting, interested in talking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the value and I don't really think that's going to go away. It'll, it may shift around and there, you'll also find that value in other places in, in other conventions in, in Europe or, or wherever else. Um, uh, and that's also good, right? I think yeah, just I mean, like I think because GDC is so big, uh, it's going to be hard to un- unseat it. So yeah, I think my, my hope is that the the online component just becomes a sort of a nice parallel uh, strong point of it. So because of the cost and stuff, if it's the case that you wanted to partake in sort of like the, to me the two big pieces, which are one the lecture stuff and being able to because there's a difference in being present for that while it's happening and then being able to talk to people. Ideally, from the group of people who saw the damn the same damn thing, being able to talk to them afterwards is really nice. Um, and then the other is basically that general networking thing. And I think I think the, the problem with a lot of online uh, versions of events like this is that is basically there's no gate actually when it comes to the the grouping for people in like an online content thing. So, for example, if you're hanging out like in a sort of the general GDC, if there's like say a GDC Discord or something. Um, you're going to be like, everybody's just in there. And then if they're like, Oh, we're going to do breakout groups. So like just everybody is going to sort of, you're going to randomly get matched with people. The problem is that actually what happens at GDC and what happens physically in any space like this or any conference is that people are either coming out at the same talk and that's when they meet. They are going to the same parties, which tends to mean that they're doing business with a particular entity at the same time, or they are interested in doing, it's like, there's these groupings that are actually happening in physical space. They're not random groupings. Are not random, yes. And I feel like the, the tendency in the last uh, – my hope is that from, from COVID and all this stuff is that people have – we've got a lot of, a lot better on the tech side to be able to do a lot of this like uh, much better networking stuff. But I don't know if we've gotten smarter on the grouping side to be able to effectively say, okay, yeah, it's only this, – this particular thing. If you're interested in X, if you just saw this talk – you can come in for this like 20 minute icebreaker thing. We'll cycle between like five different groups and you'll get five minutes to meet everybody and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a hard thing to do, really but, but I mean, but you had on top of that is, is there's kind of like established etiquette that we've all learned by osmosis because nobody teaches it actually explicitly, but there's sort of like ways that you're supposed to behave in real life in groups of people. Right. And so, you know, you know, and it still is awkward a lot of the time, right? but like, but you know what the rules are. So, you know, if you're in a group of people, and the group kind of grows a bit and like you're sort of become less interested in what's going on. You know, you can just basically say, oh, like, hey, I'm going to go talk to some other people. You can just say that. 
right? You don't need to tell the whole group. You can turn to your guy next to you and be like, I'm just going to go grab Jake. I'll see you guys. Yeah, later, exactly. Right? Like you, like you don't have to make out anything. You just, yeah, you can just take off and like, uh, and everybody gets it. Like, but that's kind of just the process. And so you can kind of ebb and flow and you can move between groups and you can find people. You can go hang out by yourself for a second to recuperate. Right. But in the online stuff, there are no established ways of doing this. So if you're in a, like a random breakout group and you're like, Oh my God, I hate this. Right. How do you leave? Right. How do you leave it? You don't know. And so now <laughs> you're just like, now you're just stuck. So on one hand, it's easier because you can just, you can just literally just dis- evaporate right uh, into the ether. But you're going to worry so much about what that means because you don't know the right way to do it. So, so to me, I, I, I find I've only participated a little bit in a few, uh, and they, and they're so far they were only text based, which is you know technically easier, but uh, but even still very weird uh, of these kinds of like breakout things around a, an event, and uh, and I, I found it far more stressful actually than the than the in real life thing. So I, the, yeah, the group I, part. I was on this program called it's called Icebreaker, um, the the website that does a really good job of this where they're, they're basically a centralized chat. And then it's some hooked up thing where basically every, every, you, the, the host can trigger a breakout thing and they could say how many people are in each group. So whether it's two or five or whatever, and then it just auto splits everybody up and then it sets a timer at the top of the screen. But my favorite part about the whole thing, cause like that all you could get some of that from all the other programs already. My favorite part was that not only do you see the time. So like, even if say you're chatting and you're like halfway through, you're like, this is not very fun, but there's three minutes left. So whatever, you know, I'll just hang out at the end, the last 20 seconds, they actually fade both of your screens out. Like both of your video feeds get faded hmm. into gray. And honestly, it's like, it's weird because usually you have to do the same where you're like, okay, bye. And then and you see both people like reaching over to click the fucking button to like get done with the, the chat. Mm-hmm. Um, but that fade out is so nice and it makes people do this funny thing when someone's like waving at someone through a fog or like while you're backing away. You're like, <laughs> oh, okay, I'll see you later, but you know, because you, you're being forcibly exited. Yeah, it's like it's like the the old timey, you know, cane hook thing when they pull somebody out <laughs> yes, the stage. Yeah. Slowly drag it up. And honestly, like I, I loved it because it takes away that weird ending thing. And I'm wondering if there's just some, you know, a lot of a lot of the the VoIP communication is based on in-person communication, right? So and mainly yeah. for one to one. But when you think about groups, it's not based on it at all. Because like what happens in a group is you do have the ability to just like kind of like essentially make your picture. Think about it, if you could make your picture kind of smaller and then just like have a little emoticon popped up that was like a like a, a wave or a, a thumb and then just fucking you just disappear. Yeah. And no one's going to be weirded out. It's just going to be like, OK, yeah. cool. They well, there's no, but the good part no, <laughs> is even kind of the least of it, right? Because also usually in a group, you, you everybody isn't talking to the center, right? Yes. Or, yeah. Right. That's and, what's so weird about it. Yeah, and there's no way in, in a in a group VoIP for like you to kind of turn to somebody else, you know, and like comment on what is being discussed or change the topic. And you two talk about something else for a moment and then rejoin the conversation. There's no possible way to do that. You just are in the hole. You're in the zeitgeist, and mm-hmm. you cannot. You have to either leave the zeitgeist or be in it. And there's no. There's nothing else you can do. Everybody, yeah, everybody's speaking at maximum volume, yeah. and everybody can hear everybody else all the time, which is very strange. And also, you can't do that thing where you're like slightly turning away and like leaning out of the group to convey, Hey, I'm on my way. You know, like Mm -hmm. you're talking about Sam, the shrinking your picture some way to sort of like convey through pseudo body language that you, you're on your way out, you know? Yeah. yeah, Cause what you like, I online, online group chats, uh, over voice can be very hard to break into if, if people are just talking about stuff, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to cue your mic up and be like, Hey guys, I'm leaving. <laughs> yep. uh, I'm going to quickly interrupt 
this whole conversation because you have to interrupt. There's no other way to. Yeah, you can't say hi to one person and like make eye contact or whatever. It's like you come in and if the group and the group doesn't know how to acknowledge you because normally like you'd look in somebody's eyeballs and that person would acknowledge you and that would kind of bring you into the group or whatever, mm-hmm. right? But in the case, like you're just looking at a wall of people and you don't know where they're looking. So no, you're not making eye contact with anybody. And it's nobody's job to be like, oh, a new person came in. Like, let me make sure that they feel welcome. Right. Uh, and because especially in a kind of random context where it's a bunch of randos, right? Like in particular, it's nobody's job to do that. Yep. Right. Yeah. And so, so then you just like, then you come in and suddenly you're just sitting there silent. You know, you don't know who anybody is. And they're talking about stuff. You don't know what they're talking about or why. And then, then the narrow option is like, do I just suddenly start talking about this thing too? Is that, <laughs> yeah. is that what I'm going to do here? You know, it's, and yeah, I think the thing that's really missing right now for online stuff to be good um, is, is established ways of doing things. And, and like the thing is like, they can just be made up. Like a convention could say, Hey, here's how all these things work. Here's how, here's the, the behaviors you use or the buttons you click or the, the effects that you do or whatever to like to, to indicate these things. Like, and that yeah, would be, I, I think, I think what I'd like to see, honestly, on the on the general VoIP development track, is I feel like so much of it has just been focused on the tech side, on, on the scaling side, the user experience yeah. of like doing what Skype did, as opposed to being like, okay, now that we could put a hundred people in a fucking video chat at once, how do we make that not can we make it good? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can we make it good? And I, there's this really fun program I showed. Uh, I showed Seth this actually last week. I'm gonna show you after the podcast um, called Gather Town, which has positional audio. You have a little avatar. It's got like sort of like a Game Boy era graphics looking stuff. And then you have different spaces and the spaces themselves. So you're walking around. And as you get close to someone, if you're sharing your screen, then they can view your screen, for example. Or they could, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll see your little head pop up and actually see you now. Your, uh, it's your like voice. positional audio, but also positional video. Right? Yeah. And yeah. then you can set up little rooms, like actual, we set up a, or I set up like a butterscotch office, right? And then you can like walk over to certain spaces and they're sort of closed off. They're a private space essentially. So if you're in there, then you see and hear everything that's going on in there. But if, as soon as you step out, it just disconnects you from everything that was happening in there. Right. And so it's got – it's really weird. It's fun. Um, it's got enough jank to it that it does like the vo- – basically because of how much – how rapidly you tend to need to swap into conversations, the speed of the connection for video and stuff gets a little weird. Um but it definitely does a better job of making you be able to do some of those things that are really important, actually, in physical space and social situations that you just can't do with this big fucking wall of people's faces all talking at the center of the thing, right? Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I really want to F- see some physical more physical space. I think matters in it because yeah. of all of these different cues and stuff. Um, and I have to say, you know, you would think that. Given what's been going on for the past year, like all these people switching to working from home, this would have been the golden age of VR mm-hmm. if people wanted it. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm, I'm still – in its current form, uh, I still don't think it's it's landing, you know, in its, uh, in its remember, appeal. Nobody wants to wear – a giant uh, ski mask all day, you know, and goggles and all that. Like, yeah, if it was like as lightweight as just like a pair of glasses, you know, then then I, I think maybe. But mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, having a giant thing strapped to your head, and then also, I mean, I don't know how many videos you guys have seen of this, but I've seen a lot 
of people putting on VR for the first time and then just destroying stuff in their, <laughs> in their house, just bland, just like, <laughs> like drop kicking the TV or like people yep. punching the wall, diving over a couch, you know? And I, I don't know what it is that like, I, I don't know how magical some people think technology is, but the idea that you would like strap on this headset and then suddenly just like swan dive across a room. <laughs> it reminds me of people who tilt their controller when they're playing like Mario Kart or something. Yeah. And actually, to me, it's the same thing. Like if you, I think if you're not super competent in in like video game literacy, essentially, yeah, then yeah, you're gonna put on this thing. You're gonna just you're like I'm here. It's tracking well, my movement. It, yeah, I think it's not even that. I think it's I think it's less about. I think because it's about immersion, right? Because, because yeah, like yeah, if, if you've been true. gaming your whole life and that kind of stuff, like probably a lot of these habits that don't do anything probably slowly go away, right? But like if I like if I'm in the middle of something, like I'm clenching the controller, right? I don't need to do that, right? If, if something really yeah. intense is happening, if I'm if I'm like banking in a racing game, like I'm probably going to be leaning a little bit, you know, because yeah. like I'm because I'm, I'm, I'm immersed, I'm feeling this this thing. I think the problem with VR is that you can't. It's the most immersive experience that you cannot immerse yourself in because you're going to hurt yourself if you, you do have that. To constantly remind <laughs> yourself it's not what real. it's doing. Yeah, it's removing your ability to to know what the outside world will do to you, right? But the outside world is still there, and it's still going to do it's stuff to you. Very so you much have there. To, yeah, so you have to remember. <laughs> you, you have to constantly remember. Oh, I'm not. This is this is not. I can't behave as if this is immersive. Like, but, <laughs> I uh, saw a video a, of, like holding a controller where it's just like, who cares if you lean? It's not going to hurt anything, right? Yeah. And so yeah. you're, you're and limited you only know, your imagination. And you still know, like, I'm in a couch, like, you can see around you, you yeah. know? I saw a video of somebody who was doing VR. They were trying to, like, in, in whatever it was that they were playing, there was just a hole in the ground that they wanted to, like, stick their head in and look inside. <laughs> 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 and they just smashed their head against the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, love I, mean, stuff. I mean, I oh, mean, if that's like a, a a not uncommon experience of like you're gonna throw up, you're gonna smash your head into the wall, you're gonna smash your head into the floor, you're gonna punch your TV, <laughs> you're gonna trip, you're you gonna know, break everything. My favorite part about this though is that some designer put that hole in the ground, yeah, knowing knowing that someone's gonna try to put their head in it. <laughs> yeah, which is like the ultimate, so troll. hazardous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm thinking like, you know, this is the exact kind of conversation that, that uh, VR advocates are always like, yeah, but VR though, right? Like all these social cues and like video chat problems, like VR, 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 you know what I mean? But no, though, because people will smash their faces against the ground. <laughs> you can't. We can't do it. Yep. Yeah. You can't. Not yet, you can't yeah, it is, it is that hilarious paradox, right? It's like the more immersive a technology becomes, the less you can be immersed into it. It's basically the more yeah. you need to just be physically paralyzed while you're uh, enjoying the experience. Yeah. You know, well, that's why, in, you know, in uh, sort of like dystopian future sci-fi things, VR is always just like a little nodule or something that you like put on your temple and it starts glowing and then you just kind of like pass out. Yep. And then right. you're like, you're doing all the VR in your brain, but not with your physical body. So, yeah. Okay, uh, we got we got a few more minutes for a, a easy one, and then that's all the time we have. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, your one dead saint asks, "You're king for the day. What do you do?" Hmm. Uh, the first thing I would do is be confused about which country I'm the king of, since that, and also, 
Imagine what kind of a government system has a one day term limit yeah, for their imagine imagine waking up because because what has to happen here is like you wake up and you just know that you're the king now, right? It's just like it's just a it's just a fact. You just wake up, you're like, I am the king, right? So now we're talking about a a, a world where, as Seth said, not only is there a is there one person who's a king of every day, but somehow you just like it's it's your job now, right? It's a it's a Russian roulette style. Of governance, and actually, this kind of thing is 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 you see this in like sci-fi, and there's like there's there are political structure models that use this, where like you pick people from the public, mm-hmm. right, and you and they get enlisted in the same way like we you know force people to military, right? Uh, Argus could do that. So you basically there's basically a draft for politics where you only bring people in at random, um, and they serve for some amount of time, they get paid as a consequence, it's just part of your civic duty, right? To be fair, that's probably the Best way to get an actual representative democracy. Yeah, I think it's the only good way, honestly. But, you know, Where you're like, yep, these are. people represent what the pub, the populace is. These are people because it's a random sampling. Yeah. So now, if you so now if we do this, but but we only do it for the king position, and we only yeah. do it for one day. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think. I don't know what I would do. I would probably try to undo some of the chaos that was done by all of the kings for a day before me. Because I was going to say this is going to be a highly. Uh, Highly volatile. Sort yeah, of world. a lot of turmoil. I feel like everyone's just going to be sort of uh, scrambling around all the time to undo the rules from the day before. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you have no incentive to do, to do anything good, right? Because like tomorrow, the next person's going to undo it. The next person's going to undo it. Or, <laughs> That's or a good do point something else or whatever. So probably uh, what you should do is just enjoy yourself. Because like, yeah, who cares? It's not like you could do anything to affect. All of change. your incentives are bad if you're a king for a day. Well, I think it's, it also stands to reason that if if you live in a society that has one day term limits on randomly selected monarchs, mm-hmm. uh, this society probably hasn't made it very far. So I think the amount of power that you have to wield is going to be very very limited. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it would have to be in either case, right? Either it's at the very beginning and like. That right, and this was a, an absurd thing that people came up with, and therefore you can't wield power. Or it's actually gone on for a while, in which case the only way it could have is if you basically have no power to wield. So then you're just a figure, right? If because like yeah, if let's say you're ten years down the road and you're you know you're king number three thousand six hundred fifty, then that means that it really doesn't matter who the king is because the country just keeps functioning, which yeah. implies that the king can't really do. So okay, so then you're much. a figurehead. So it's sort of yeah. like being the Queen of England sort of a situation, right? You don't have power, but you can maybe you can wield some soft power here and there. So you know you go to the like soft power babies. takes takes time to to cultivate. Yeah. Well, if if it's know? the case that the position itself has cultivated enough of that soft power, you know, by virtue of it, like its own things, sort of I think probably forward. what I would do is have a banquet, you know, mm. just like get some real fucking good food. Uh, that's it. I think that's that's the most as a figurehead. I think the most effects, effective thing that you can do is throw a dope ass party with delicious food. Right? Nobody gets hurt. You don't change any of the rules. You don't have to know anything about how your government works. Well, I mean, you, you gotta recognize the whoever who you invite to that party is very important as a figurehead, as well as where they sit. You know, important to how though? Because yeah, like, it's, not, it, it's not like you have any kind of long term political career that you're trying yeah. to preserve. Or very specifically, don't. <laughs> Like, because the way I imagine this is like the new king is chosen at at three o'clock in the morning by four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning. That person has been like picked up somewhere and flown to 
I guess, the palace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get anointed and then they get clothed appropriately the next hour. Yep. Yeah. And much like a hotel room, like there's a cleanup crew that every night has to like get the palace back in order for the next king, you know? Mm-hmm. So then you basically have like the afternoon to make a few public statements. And then you've got the evening to throw a dope ass banquet. And then you're, that's, you're kind of done. Go back home. <laughs> you're, you're, you, and then you go back home. So you just have like a few moments of, of being able to just sort of broadcast your thoughts and opinions out onto the world. This would basically work exactly like jury duty, you know, where for yeah. this to work, like there are rules as a jury that like, you have to adhere to, otherwise you get kicked out and that kind of stuff, right? But in the end, you still get to do whatever you want, actually, in the sense that like, even if somebody did something against the law and you believe that they did, you can be like, mm, I don't like the penalty they're going to get, so I'm going to just say they're innocent. I'm just going to do mm-hmm. that, right? It's not illegal. You can just do that. Or you can just you say, can just I refuse. And, I, and you could cause a hung jury, right? You can just cause these things to happen. And so it's actually, a, it's a chaos mechanism that yep. just has this like, <laughs> has this like sprinkling of rules on top, right? Uh, and, and this would be probably the same. Because it might be like, I imagine like you get flown in, as you said, you go sit on your throne and then the people come up and they tell you what they need, right? Mm, mm-hmm. And then you just, on your whim, you decide what if they get it or not. Right? Where, <laughs> uh, just like a jury does, right? Um, and it would probably be within, like, there'd be some set of, like, guidelines and rules you're supposed to follow, right? But uh, but within that, well, yeah, or actually, it's the same way a judge works. It's basically, our, it's basically this is already our legal system. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But just for the very short term. Just a very short term. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I guess, I guess that's what you would do. Mm-hmm. Arbitrarily help people, uh, or decide not to, and then throw a dope ass party. Yep. The end. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our discord running to get more involved in the butterscotch community. Just go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have links to the discord, a way for you to donate and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.